create and try, someone could work to sabotage a brand through, through AI. So companies are adopting new strategies to figure out how to both address reviews online by real people and mitigate potential negative damage um, from AI. Welcome to Unmiss, your go-to digital marketing hub. I'm Anatoly Ulatovsky, here with expert tips and exclusive chats to boost your online game. Let's get started. Hello, good people. Welcome to our show. Hello, bad people. Welcome to our show. Hello, welcome. Welcome anyone who want to learn more about reputation management. Welcome. Today, we are going to discuss more about that. How to improve your reputation online. Why it's important. How to uh, spend time more to learn about negative reviews because uh, it can help to improve, develop your products. And I remember when Bill Gates said about negative reviews, it's the biggest asset of data. So if you have negative reviews, you can learn from them to think how to create something better, much better to update your products. I'm so excited to discuss this topic with Tracy Shario. How are you? I'm doing very well, Anatoly. Thank you so much for inviting me to speak with you and your listeners today. Oh, a big pleasure. Wanna learn more. I love learning. I'm student on this life and people can think that I have this podcast to grow my business. Yeah, it, it can help to grow my business, but in the first stage, I learn. I love learning to think how to improve, how to develop, how to go ahead. Tracy, before we start, just tell more about yourself, experience, background and anything that can help our listeners to learn more about you. Of course, I've been in public relations, marketing communications my entire career. I've done international advocacy, technology, for-profit, not-for-profit, worked in academia. So I, I, um, I like change. I like disruption. I like opportunities where I can come in and help a, an organization enhance its reputation or change its reputation. And that's what we're here to chat about today. Awesome, awesome. Um, I have a bunch of questions, a lot of good questions, but I wanna ask uh, about your background, about uh, <laughs> these words that you have in your wall, because uh, all of them are different, therapy, storyteller, fire finger, mind reader, many, uh, different words uh, that concern like psychology. So uh, tell why you have this uh, uh, board on your side and how it can help you. <laughs> yeah, so um, wh why reputation? Why do I have such a, a passion for it? Um, early in my career, one of my bosses told me the only thing that follows you is your reputation. Um, that's true as individuals and that's certainly true as, as companies and nonprofits. And particularly now in a digital age where there's social media, the in, increase in AI, right? Reputation is now more important than ever. And by reputation, what do I mean? It is what people think, believe, and feel about a company or a personality and whether or not they are willing to give you the benefit of the doubt if you're in a crisis situation are they willing to speak kindly on your behalf are they willing to recommend your company as a great place to work or a great company to work with and partner with 
all of these things are integral into what a company's perception is, right? And perception often is reality. So you could be the best company or the, the kindest celebrity in the world, but if the public doesn't believe in that, you are gonna have difficulty. And public relations to me at, it, at its core is about promoting or protecting reputation. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Uh, let's talk about uh, four aspects of reputation management. The first one, positive reviews. The second, negative reviews. Uh, third, uh, real reviews and fake reviews. I think all businesses can meet all of them uh, in their journey. And that's okay if you have negative reviews. Even, uh, for example, uh, uh, Harry Potter. It's a great book, uh, a lot of fans around the world, but this book has 2% of one-star reviews on Amazon. So 2% can uh, rate this book like one of the worst written. Uh, uh, and um, I remember interesting quote from uh, Seth Godin. He said that he stopped reading reviews of his books on Amazon since 2011 because he doesn't want to know when someone can tell something bad about his books uh, because you can't write books for anybody. You need to write for your readers. So tell about uh, your methods, how to uh, divide reviews. Uh, for example, if companies have like plus thousand reviews, uh, I often see this case, it's tough to to learn all of these reviews, but tell your methods how to divide them, uh, fake, real, negative, positive, and how to handle the process. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's a multi-part question, so I'll do my best to address the management and the review side. Um, so my, my current role is I head up uh, external communications and at, at MITRE. And MITRE is a not-for-profit technology company that does R&D for the federal government. So my, my current frame is B2B and B2G. A lot of what you were talking about in terms of Amazon reviews is um, B2C. But I think what I'm about to say in terms of management and reviews applies in all of those contexts. So when you're thinking about managing your reputation, it's all about audience and every company, every celebrity, every government leader, be it elected or the head of a, a government agency, all of them have core audiences. And it really begins with your internal audiences. So your employees, the people that you employ um, and, and partner with, are your most important stakeholder because these are the people that are working intimately with your company and can really influence what the external world believes and feels about your brand. So taking care of employees and building a corporate culture where there's a sense of belonging, there's an understanding of diversity and that it's not just about ethnicity, it's about points of view, it's about uh, feelings, it's about um, being able to bring your whole self to work. Um, you know, my cat just died yesterday and I have a psychological safety at my employer 
where I can talk about that openly. I think 10 years ago, I would have never talked about losing a pet at the office. So our, our culture has changed over time. Corporate culture has changed over time. But first and foremost, in terms of managing your reputation, your employees have to feel like they belong and they have to have a sense of psychological safety. Only then are they gonna be your best ambassadors and talk positively about your brand. There are so many places to write reviews, right? If you're a consumer brand, people are reviewing you on Amazon. They're reviewing you on Yelp. They're reviewing you on Facebook, Instagram, pick your social media channel. And then for employers, add Glassdoor, Indeed, and a growing number of channels where employees can anonymously voice their feedback, that truly impacts the ability of a company to be given the benefit of a doubt in a crisis situation, to have people speak kindly of the company, to recommend them as a great place to work and recommend them as a great employer. Awesome. You remind me my personal bad experience on this direction. Uh, many years ago, um, I worked in one big project. I didn't have time to check uh, how things uh, are going on on my company. And toxic environment appealed. I didn't know about that. And a few good uh, employees left my company. Then I started to <laughs> learn what's going on. I started to research and got a toxic environment. Can you recommend for uh, busy people like me what to do? Because I changed a lot since then. I got it. It's important to have not only customer satisfaction, it's important to have employee satisfaction. So tell your insights how to do it for busy people because I cooperate with many business owners. Most of them are so busy, they have no time. They think how to develop, innovate companies, products, uh, but they need to handle and manage employees to they make them happy. So your tips about that. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're all guilty of saying, I don't have time for that. I, I don't have time for thinking about my employees. I don't have time to do this podcast. I don't have time. <laughs> there are not enough hours in the day. And ultimately it's about setting your own priorities and about setting priorities for the company. There are always gonna be 10, 12 competing priorities, but if you have a clear plan for, these are the top three priorities for building my culture and making time for them, you can block the noise. I, I can't remember what management book I've read a lot over time. It was either Simon Simic or, you know, Seven Habits of uh, Highly Effective People. But one of the one of those two um, sets of management books and, and principles talks about how to manage your time so that you are doing the priorities that are going to drive you and your company to growth mode. And so you always look at the tasks before you and think. What can I delay? What can I delegate? What can I delete? There's probably a few other Ds in there too, but if you can delay, 
delegate or delete things off of your list, you will be able to find time to engage your employees. And more importantly, you know, the word of the year for Merriam-Webster this year is authenticity. Your employees have to feel that whatever you're saying, however you're carving out time, is authentic and not forced. And that is a real art, that's a real skill. And for me personally, it, it starts with leading with empathy, right? And again, I think pre-COVID, no one was talking about empathy, right? Why would we have empathy for our employees, right? We're giving them a job, they've got a desk, they've got a computer, they've got a paycheck, like they should be happy to come to work. Well, COVID really reset that conversation so that employers realize that employees really drive a company. Um, there's always been great companies like Patagonia that have put employees first, but COVID really forced all employers, universities, governments, technology, to put employees first and to do so in a way where you create a feeling of empathy and understanding and that by looking at the whole person, it's not just you're here to do a job. It's, oh, yes, you're here to do a job, but you also have a life outside of work. And I think for me, leadership is about empathy and leading with an authentic mindset. And then if your employees understand that they're, you're listening to them, and making change based on their input, it's always going to improve employee morale, employee connection, employee sense of belonging. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, uh, I couldn't agree more. I think it's important, very important. And uh, but I, I want to ask, um, can you provide more details about the feeling to belong to some company? You mentioned uh, employees need to feel to have this feeling to belong to some company. Um, but for example, from my experience, I know uh, most people want to think more about their families. Uh, I, I agree hundred percent. They uh, families are on the first place, but uh, even uh, though we can put uh, jobs to the second place, can you tell how to create this feeling? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's uh it's a, it's a challenge, right, to be honest. I think that first and foremost, I go back to seeing people as people, right? Um, there's talent acquisition, there's talent recruitment, there's talent management. We're all talented. We're all skilled. That's why we were hired. But we're people first. And when you look at your employees as people first, you realize that their parents, their sons and daughters, their friends, their volunteers, like they have this whole self outside of work. Um, and I think more and more, I know more and more that we're beginning to see that um, in the workplace. And when you can bring that sense of um, yourself and your employer recognizes you, people feel more appreciated and are going to be more productive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nice, nice. Love it, love it. Tracy, let's talk about 
customers. Uh, uh, most customers read reviews before buying any products. If I remember correctly, almost 100%, 95% uh, of customers read reviews. I usually do it um, as well because uh, I remember when I ignored reading reviews and especially when you book hotels, you can have bad experience. Mm -hmm. uh, if you buy a new car, um, yeah, it's better to read reviews because you can drive this car for a long time. It's not like for a few days. Uh, can you tell about uh, how to manage reviews that customers leave uh, on different places? Google, uh, business profile, uh, social media, because we have various platforms, uh, websites, reviews like Trustpilot. So uh, tell your methods how to manage all of them for big companies that have plus 100 reviews almost every single day. <laughs> yeah, um, you're absolutely right. People look at online reviews. They don't necessarily go to a product's website, right? I'm car shopping, so I'm going to Car and Driver magazine. I'm looking at, you know, reviews by the Wall Street Journal and by blogs and those sorts of things. And then I'm going to, okay, this is the kind of vehicle I want to drive. Now I'm going to go to the Ford Motor Company or um, another website and look at what offerings they have, but I've already done my research before I go to buy a car. What you can do as a brand is understand where people are getting their information. So most companies do a whole host of research and, and survey to understand where people are getting their information, what social channels, what review sites. Um, and then there's different ways that you can make sure that you're driving testimonials to those um, and disclosing that. AI, I think, is going to change all of this, right? Because you, you have the potential for um, fake reviews in a way that you haven't had before. You have the ability to create videos. You know, your, your intro of me was a little bit flattering and disturbing because I'm like, okay, there's all of this video of me out there anybody could go and take those snippets they can take this podcast and they could be like i want to put out something negative about tracy shariel in her own words they can do that with ai you can do the same with reviews you can create and try someone could work to sabotage a brand through through ai so companies are adopting new strategies to figure out how to both address reviews online by real people and mitigate potential negative damage um, from AI. Mm -hmm. uh, 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 and what do you think about using AI to reply to reviews? Because when companies get a lot of reviews, it's tough to reply. And I, for example, I use AI a lot. I speak with AI more often than with my wife because i can ask a bunch of questions i love my wife i love ai different love but <laughs> you know i'm using this tool because it can help me to grow my company that i have but um i i see when companies use ai to reply to reviews so i don't know if you have experience on that so your tips uh, do we need to do it or it's better to 
reply manually. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the, the company that I work for, MITRE, we've been involved in AI for 35 plus years. We've been on the on the ground floor. Um, you know, a number of years ago, we were talking about AI replacing dull, dangerous, dirty jobs. Um, now, thanks to the advent of chat GPT, AI is part of everyone's conversation. Um, anyone who hasn't heard of chat GPT is uh, living under the proverbial rock, I think. Um, but what AI right now in its current form is really as good as the prompts, right? So if I were to take the transcript of this meeting, this conversation, and put it into um, an AI tool and ask it for notes, I think it would give me a very good summary of the conversation. But if I asked it a different prompt, what was the most important thing Tracy and Anatoly talked about, it would probably come up with an answer different from me and what I would think was the most important thing. And so I think as long as we understand that AI is still learning from large language models and what companies need to do is a couple of different things. If you're going to be using AI for reviews, for gathering feedback, for analyzing feedback, is first and foremost be transparent, right? Disclose, disclose, disclose that you're using AI and how you're using it. Um, privacy declarations on company websites are standard driven in large part by GDPR and what's happening in, in Europe, but there are regulations in California, there are standards, right? So you can go to any company website and see what their privacy disclaimers are. AI should have the same type of disclaimer. A company should be required to disclose how they're using AI to share information and to gather information and analyze information. Um, and then we could have a whole conversation about, do we need to regulate AI? What does that look like? Those types of things. Yeah, interesting. Because I usually, uh, I use AI a lot, but mm -hmm. I never show that I use AI, at least for customers, because uh, we spend time editing all our content. And for example, we use AI for editing press releases we got mentions on CNN, Bloomberg, Business Insider, Yahoo Finance, many big websites. Uh, and I think if CNN can post your content, it means it's it's quality. You know, <laughs> if if I write to CNN, look at I use AI to <laughs> to create this content. Um, CNN can deny you know such request. Uh, and uh, for me, uh, AI it's like. Manual job. If you can create quality with AI, why not? You can use this tool. But uh, uh, customers uh, need quality content first. So if they see quality content, quality replies, who cares? <laughs> AI written or manual written. <laughs> but Tracy, I want to ask about negative reviews. Of course, it's a big set of data, like. Bill Gates said, uh, you, you need to learn from negative reviews to think how to improve products, but it can hurt your sales. And um, according to some data, uh, around 30% of people can change their minds 
to replace negative reviews with positive reviews. Uh, if you have experience with that, can you tell how to do it? I mean, like, okay, if uh, some websites get plus 100 negative reviews, how to replace 30% of them to positive <laughs> from your experience? Yeah, so again, I'm coming from a, a B2B perspective. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's a couple of things that, that folks can do is, um, right, there's always an opportunity to reply to reviews in, in most situations. So Glassdoor, for example, um, companies that take the time to address both positive and negative reviews um, are going to be able to, to influence what individuals think when they go to that website to, to look at feedback about the company. Um, and whenever you can be on record responding, I believe it shows that you're an engaged employer and you're an engaged brand. So first and foremost, don't hesitate um, to reply. That could be on Facebook, that could be on Instagram, that could be on LinkedIn, right? Use, use your channel strategy to think through how you can engage your audiences by showing that you're listening, right? It goes back to what I was saying earlier. Empathy, listening, and reacting and responding in a way that shows you've heard what the criticism was goes a very, very long way to addressing that. Are you ever going to be able to replace all those negative reviews? You know, it's I'm sure there are tools out there to, to help you do that. I know that there are all kinds of reputation tools for, for individuals that are trying to clean up their own personal profile. Um, and some of them work. But ultimately, you know, your digital footprint can have a very, very long trail. Um, and you just need to understand that and how to, to manage and mitigate that. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, Tracy. I want to ask about your background, about PR. I use a lot of PR. Uh, mm -hmm. I think it's a powerful tool. Um, even if you promote with, uh, I don't know, any channels, SEO, social media, PR can help a lot. Uh, tell your methods how to use PR in the right way. I mean, like uh, how to improve reputation by using PR. It, well, you can see behind me, it's all about storytelling, right? Um, and so that particular poster is probably 30 years old now. Um, and when you think about PR and the job that we have, it's, it's storyteller, it's detective, it's, you know, working with individuals to figure out how best to talk about the company, to talk about the product, to talk about the, the personalities behind the company and the product. Um, so there are so many ways that you can do that from an earned perspective. And public relations, like marketing, is all about getting the company publicity and, and promotions. But for public relations, we're using earned channels. So we're looking at what's our Wikipedia profile, where can we be seen in the media? How do we provide uh, thought leadership and expert commentary on current issues and trends impacting our industry? 
are there industry awards programs that we should be applying for to be seen as a more innovative company or to be seen as a company with great leadership? Um, and then there's looking at the other influencers that, that impact your industry. So do you have a group of industry analysts that, that cover your market space? Are there um, influencers on social media channels that you should be looking to harness? And so it's really all about building credibility and leveraging third parties, be it media, industry analysts or other, to help talk about the value of your company, why you're a thought leader, what's, what's the benefit of your product. Awesome. Awesome. Love it. Love it. <laughs> Tracy, let's talk about another, your uh, skill. I love this key skill, uh, communication. Um, and uh, I think it's important, very important to communicate, right? To personalize your message, to uh, use perseverance, but not be pushy. So many insights. Uh, I have some business owners who are introverts. Now, they are not good with communication, but they can provide great products. Tell your methods how to improve the skills. If someone uh, is an introvert, uh, have no time or willingness, I don't know, any other tips, but wanna uh, improve communication skills to, uh, to build network, to speak with other uh, experts. So I don't know your methods how to improve the skills. <laughs> so... I'm going to start with audience again, right? So often people start out thinking, well, if I say, if I say something, if I publish something, um, it's only going to go to the audience that I intended it to. And that is so rarely the case, right? So look at what's been happening at open AI over the past week. It has been pretty dramatic what the board did in, in letting go of its uh, CEO. And they didn't take into account employees. They didn't take into account uh, industry partners. They didn't take into account just the general public and what that perception was gonna be. And that's not to say that they didn't have a conversation about it. I mean, I wasn't in the boardroom. I don't, I don't know. I always like to give uh, leaders the benefit of the doubt, but to make that kind of decision without thinking through the impact on all the different audiences is really sort of short-sighted. In that case, I think they were way too mission-driven to make the decision that they did without thinking about the impact and the, the, uh, the effect of their very limited communications, right? At least as of the last time I looked, they, the board still hasn't articulated what transgressions the CEO had committed to dictate his, his firing, right? So too often when it comes to crisis communications, reputation management, there's the adage that less is more. And oftentimes that's true, right? Oftentimes you don't want to share too much information but you have to present enough details in your communications that people understand that you're acting um, 
with integrity, that you're acting with empathy, and that you are realizing that it's it's not just about the logic, that there's an emotional component to communications as well. Mm -hmm. uh, I know Microsoft uh, decided to hire Sam Altman, ex-CEO of OpenAI, so Bill Gates can move fast <laughs> to find such uh, great people who can change the industry to make this revolution. And uh, I don't know about what's going on inside this company, but this company is growing fast. And what I can see that, you know, when huge money are coming, people change <laughs> uh, behavior, can uh, chase this money. I don't know. So hope everyone will be good on this decision. Uh, Tracy, let's talk about mistakes. You know, in my life, I made a lot of mistakes. I keep doing them. I, I made terrible mistakes, uh, but I don't know another way how to learn something new. I usually start from best practices, generic strategies, then I fail. All the time fail, always fail. But I can learn how it works. I can learn how to go ahead, uh, to change my approaches, to get results. Because when you start something new, you compete with someone who have extended experience. So you need time to uh, overwork them, to uh, provide something different. Uh, let's talk about uh, mistakes in reputation management. Can you list mistakes that we can avoid? For example, if I decided to improve my reputation, I need to manage the process. But from your experience, if you know some mistakes that companies still do but can avoid, let us know. <laughs> okay. Um, well, first, I agree with you that you you have to be willing to fail and willing to make mistakes in order to grow and to learn. Um, you know, one of the biggest lessons I learned during um, COVID was just to be a better listener, right? My, my company was very involved in um, the healthcare response. And so I was working crazy hours and, and I realized that I had basically stopped setting priorities and, and stopped listening. I was just doing, 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 doing. And so forcing myself to take a step back and carve out time to just listen and, and partner rather than just always having to say something to feel like we were driving things forward. Um, but, but your question about reputation and, and where companies can, can learn from their mistakes, um, it really boils down to, um, are you willing to change tone over time? And there's a saying in the, in the military, I'm going to paraphrase it, but it's something along the lines of, you know, a battle plan is perfect until the first shot is fired, right? And then you can plan your work and work your plan, but ultimately, once you're in the throes of a crisis, it is a little bit about best practices and it's about trusting your gut in the moment. And so a lot of companies will have a crisis communications plan for different scenarios. But when you have to deal with that product recall, for example, it is really more about responding to events as they are happening 
Um, you know, I taught crisis communications and reputation management for the better part of 10 years at the George Washington University. Um, and one of, I used many, many airline case studies from lost luggage to freak situations with pets dying aboard airplanes, right? And the companies that responded well to those situations had a couple of things in common. They reacted quickly and empathetically, right? And it's it's one thing to say, hey, we, we know that there was a, a pet who died in an overhead cabin. We apologize. It's another thing to say our hearts go out and prayers go out to the family who lost their pet on this flight. We are working to understand what happened and we are gonna remedy this so this does not happen again. And that's why you can still say less is more, but if you're not showing that you care and it comes across as, well, it's just a process failure, like, that, that's when you really build brand loyalty. You can get through a negative situation when you lead with empathy and demonstrate that you recognize there's a problem and you're gonna fix it, right? Mm -hmm. It may not be quick, it may not be as fast as the public wants it to, but you acknowledge that there was a failure and that it's a failure that can be remedied. Awesome, awesome. Uh, Tracy. I have students in my network and many of them want to start learning something from scratch. Uh, you have this high position uh, in big company. Uh, you, uh, I, I don't know, can you encourage students in my network who are looking for ways to learn something from scratch to achieve such high position in their careers? Uh, Let's imagine if you started today from scratch without any experience, knowledge, skills. It's your first day. You're a student. You want to become uh, head of external communications in big company. It's your goal. What will you do if you have zero skills but want to achieve uh, this position? So regardless of what stage of your career you are, but particularly for uh, college students, recent graduates, or folks just learning to pivot into a new industry is volunteer, right? You can volunteer with a professional society like the Public Relations Society of America. You can volunteer with a group that you're passionate about. So maybe it's the American Cancer Society or, or a, a, some other advocacy group. But by volunteering, you can learn new skills. So early in my career, um, I was in roles that didn't do a lot of events. And so I joined PRSA in part to do events at the, the local level here in the Washington DC area, because I felt like that was a skill set. I didn't, I didn't have the, the planning. I didn't have the strategic development of an event experience. And by volunteering, I was able to build that that skill set and add it to my resume early in my career. Mm -hmm. Nice, nice. Love it, love it. And my final question about the future. Um, I want to ask you, take your 
crystal ball and let us know what kind of future will be we have ai today apple is going to launch augmented reality and uh, yeah for me it's tough to predict the future but uh, i want to know from your <laughs> uh, experience background what do you think what kind of future will be and how we can adapt to this possible future so i have lots of thoughts on the the future particularly as it relates to ai um but it all comes down to being a, a critical thinker and a critical user of technology right we have to embrace these new technologies but understand that just like email 30 some years ago when it was first rolled out and sort of becoming far more popular right we didn't understand the consequences social media 15 plus years ago we weren't talking about the consequences and this is this is what i find encouraging about the ai conversation today compared to those other two technologies and channels is that i feel like we're having a more robust conversation as a society about the positive impacts of ai as well as the potential negative consequences but ultimately it relies on the the individual to be a critical user of those technologies i was actually at a um, conference here in the building earlier this morning, MITRE is very involved in a, a co-founder of a group called the Coalition for Health AI. And one of the speakers, Dr. John Holanka from the Mayo Clinic, was just talking about why you need AI in healthcare. And he talked a little bit about industrial um, countries and their birth rates being only 1.4 um, per person. And so we aren't working at a replacement rate. So of course there aren't going to be enough doctors. We already have a nursing shortage, right? So AI has the promise to help fill those gaps where 30 years from now, there might not be people when you and I get old, Anatoly, I, I, I joke that we're going to be taken care of by robots, right? Cause there just probably aren't going to be enough nurses and doctors. So I have real passion for the potential of AI because what if I have cataracts or something that prevents me from being able to drive? I want autonomous vehicles on the road so that I can rely on having a full and robust life in my later years. And I really believe that AI is gonna deliver that potential. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, my, my brother is on the same boat. He wants this vehicle because he likes to drink beer with his servants. <laughs> he needs there you go. Vehicle. It has modern applications too. You don't have to be old to, to need a AI driver. <laughs> yeah, but he wants to uh, uh, that his car can uh, transfer him to home. <laughs> so yeah, his dream like this. So, but um, I agree. And what they found experts are excited about AI. I personally increased my revenue results with AI, but what I can see according to data, 5% of marketers and content creators uh, lost jobs because of AI. But I think it's not because of AI, because of someone who can adapt to AI to change what they have. Uh, they can replace people who don't adapt to AI. So. I think um, we 
we don't need to ignore this tool today. It's impossible. Before Terminators will kill all human beings, we have time you now to use AI. And I hope uh, people will manage and control AI in the future. Tracy, it's a big pleasure to get on my show. I love it. So valuable. Tell the best way how to keep learning from you, how to reach out to you, how to follow you. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity to have our conversation today. Yeah. Uh, how to connect with you, how to reach out to you, if someone wants to follow you, to learn more about you. So, yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm on LinkedIn, Tracy Shario. Thankfully, I have a unique uh, surname. So um, pretty easy to find on LinkedIn. Um, and that's really the best way to connect. Thank you. Thank you, Tracy. Big pleasure. I'll submit uh, link to LinkedIn account in the description below guys you can follow Tracy I personally follow because I need more valuable insights so I recommend to anyone to follow too to keep learning because marketing PR is a quickly changing world you need to update what you have okay guys love you see you thanks for tuning in to Unmiss enjoyed the show drop us a review on your favorite platform and help us spread the digital marketing wisdom see you next episode